You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then make sure you're subscribed to our email newsletter. Go to assemblycall.com slash join today and sign up for free. That's assemblycall.com slash join. This episode of The Assembly Call is brought to you by Crane Credit Union. Get a $150 deposit into your new Crane Credit Union checking account when you get e-statements, have direct deposit, and use your debit card. Plus, there's no monthly service charges and no minimum balance to open your account. Stop into any of Crane Credit Union's 14 locations or visit their website at cranecu.org for more information. That's cranecu.org. Crane Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another off-season episode of the Assembly Call. I am your host, Jared Morris. And this is a very special edition of the Assembly Call as we are publishing this episode on April 4th, 2017. The significance of that date is that it is the birthday of one of the most important, influential, uh, and exceptional characters in the the long and proud history of Indiana basketball, and that is Bill Garrett. Uh, It would be Bill Garrett's birthday today. Uh, He is no longer with us uh, in person, but his spirit his legacy, his impact, uh, just what he represented, what he did, all of that certainly is. And this weekend, uh, Bill Garrett will be commemorated with an Indiana State historical marker on the Indiana University campus, an honor that has been a long time coming. And on this episode of The Assembly Call, I am joined by Tom Graham, who wrote the book Getting Open, the unknown story of Bill Garrett and the integration of college basketball Uh, For those of you who have been subscribed to the Assembly Call for a while and who get our Six Banner Saturday News Roundups, back on December 31st of 2016, I dedicated one of our weekly news roundups to Bill Garrett. It was right after I had finished reading the book, Getting Open, uh, and it's just, you know, my immediate reaction upon finishing the book was that Every IU fan needs to read this book, and I I continue to believe that. I think it is essential reading, not just for IU basketball fans, but anybody associated with Indiana University. Really, I think any college basketball fan should read this and learn the story of Bill Garrett and learn the role that he played and that people from the the great history of Indiana University like Branch McCracken and Herman B. Wells, the roles that they played in breaking what at the time was a gentleman's agreement among Big Ten universities to not play black basketball players. Uh, And, uh, you know, as crazy as that sounds, it's not, it wasn't that long ago. And reading this book was a reminder of obviously where we were, uh, how far we've come, and of course, in many ways, how far we still have to go. Uh, but it's also, you know, in addition to that and what it represents in terms of race relations and Indiana University's role uh, in integration, especially in the integration of college basketball, it's also the story of a great basketball player. Bill Garrett was a phenomenal basketball player, both at Shelbyville and at Indiana, 
and he was a great man and his legacy lives on today in you know his his sons and grandsons uh, and what they're doing uh, in basketball and and this book I cannot recommend highly enough again it's getting open the unknown story of Bill Garrett and the integration of college basketball and Tom Graham one of the co-authors along with his daughter Rachel was one of the key drivers in getting this historical marker uh, placed for Bill Garrett along with Bob Hamill. And so Tom joins me on this episode of the Assembly Call to talk about that, to talk about the journey to getting this this marker placed, uh, to talk about why Tom was the one to write this story about Bill Garrett and why this is such a passion project for him, a lifelong passion, really. Uh, and we also talk about Bill Garrett, the player, the man, the legacy. What else can be done to honor his legacy? It's a wide-ranging conversation. Tom has enormous amounts of insight. I'm so appreciative uh, of him for the time uh, that he gave me in this conversation. And, and I really hope that if you do already know the story of Bill Garrett, that it it reminds you of just how great of a player he was, everything that he meant, and that hearing this podcast will spur you to share it with someone else who may not know the story, especially a younger Indiana basketball fan. Uh, and if you don't know the story of Bill Garrett, I hope this opens your eyes to one of the greatest players to ever play at Indiana University, but also unquestionably one of the greatest and most important men to ever play at Indiana University. It's a remarkable story. I'm excited uh, to, to share now my conversation with Tom Graham talking about Bill Garrett with you on this episode of The Assembly Call. Tom Graham is an IU graduate, a member and former chairman of the World Trade Organization's appellate body in Geneva, Switzerland, and the co-author, along with his daughter Rachel, of one of the essential IU basketball books, Getting Open, the unknown story of Bill Garrett and the integration of college basketball, he is also our guest on this episode of the Assembly Call. Tom, welcome. It is truly an honor to be able to speak to you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you Jared. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So we're going to spend some time today talking about Bill Garrett, who, if you don't know, was Indiana's first black basketball player and the man who is credited with breaking the gentleman's agreement among Big Ten schools to not play black players, which was in place for a long time. Garrett is unquestionably one of the most important figures in IU basketball history, really in the university's history as a whole. And the timing of this conversation is not a coincidence because coming up in Bloomington this weekend, uh, and we're recording this on April 4th, so the weekend of you know, April 7th and 8th, um, in Bloomington, a state historical marker for Bill Garrett will be unveiled in front of the Ora L. Wildermuth Intramural Center. This honor is a long time coming, and Tom, you were one of the driving forces behind making it happen. And so before we kind of begin discussing your book and learning more about Bill Garrett, the man and the player, I'd love for you to just expound a little bit on what is happening this weekend, how anyone listening can get involved, and why this is such a significant event. Uh, thanks, Jed. Glad to. Um, what is happening this weekend is the placement, as you said, of a historical marker uh, honoring Bill Garrett uh, uh, in front of the uh, field house where he played, which is the Earl Wildermuth Interbureau Center on the Bloomington campus. Uh, this uh, was uh, is the result of an application made by Bob Hamill, the well-known sports writer and former uh, sports editor of the Bloomington newspaper, uh, and I, starting about a year ago, and then working closely with the Indiana Historical Bureau on uh, uh, original sources uh, to 
confirm the events and also on the wording of the marker, which was negotiated with IU. Uh, the wording of the marker, uh, I will have to paraphrase. I'm afraid I don't have it in front of me, but it, it encapsulates uh, the essence of the at least basketball part of the Garrett story, and that is uh, that he was uh, Mr. Basketball in Indiana 1947, led Shelbyville to the state championship, set scoring and rebounding records, and no one recruited him. No white school, majority white university, even contacted him about a scholarship because in the Big Ten there was a, an explicit understanding, unwritten but clear, uh, documented in the IU archives, which my daughter and co-author found and is cited in our book, uh, saying nothing written but uh, the unwritten rule observed by all is no Negroes, as they said then, uh, in basketball, swimming, or wrestling. And as we say, basketball, swimming, and wrestling, all that skin, sweat, and contact so close to the fans. The Big Ten Gentlemen's Agreement was one of the centerpiece ones, but most conferences had those agreements, and very, very few blacks had ever played major college basketball at that time. Uh, IU did not recruit Bill Garrett. Uh, what happened was the a uh, very strong black leader, Fabron de France, head of the Senate Avenue Y, the segregated black Y in Indianapolis, uh, led a delegation down to uh, talk to Herman Wells, President Herman Wells of IU, put pressure on Wells, who was trying to integrate the campus uh, over opposition, and uh, to uh, talk to French McCracken, who agreed, the coach, basketball coach, who agreed to give Garrett a chance to play if he was on the campus, making his grades, going to school, and went out for basketball and made the team. This is Mr. Basketball. Went out, had to, had to go out for basketball and make the team. And then the, the great poetic justice is he became an All-American, set IU scoring and rebounding records, graduated in four years, and by his example, on and off the court, he opened basketball to black players. The year after he graduated, there were seven blacks on, on five Big Ten teams. Uh, and that's, that encapsulates the story. It also goes broader, which we could talk about uh, uh, with regard to integration and with regard to basketball being an example, which helped with further integration. The IU campus was integrated at the dorms and dining halls during Garrett's period there. He was very popular on campus. And, and I, I do want to get into all that. I also I would love for you to explain what is the significance of the marker being placed in front of a building named after Ora L. Wildermuth because that that's a pretty significant part of the story too. Yes, yeah. Uh, the, uh, it's it, we've been asked several times, uh, and the question usually came up in what to us was a surprising form, and that is, uh, are the Garretts willing to have the marker placed at that building bearing Wildermuth's name? And uh, I should back up, actually, and say we document in the book quotations found in the archives by Ora Wildermuth, saying, in essence, uh, it's, a pr it's a pity they have to be on the campus because they're not as competent as whites, and, and segregation is necessary because if a person has one-sixteenth colored blood, he is colored, and things like that. Uh, this was the chairman of the board of IU at the time, uh, whose name is on the building. And... Uh, the question often was, well, are the Garretts willing to have it placed there? And our answer has uniformly been, this was the place where Garrett played. This is the, this is the appropriate place to have the marker. It's the field house where Garrett played. And if there's a problem with the, with the uh, incongruity, 
of Wildreth's name being on the building. The problem is with the name, not with the placement of the marker. So I think the placement of the marker is absolutely appropriate because it is where he's played. If it raises the question of the Fieldhouse name, so be it. That's the, that's the fact. It's probably a question that should be raised and discussed. Um, and, and, and there was a proposal at one time, right, to have Garrett's name and Wilderbeuth's name on the, the, the same sign outside of the Fieldhouse, right? Yes. Uh, uh, the Daily Student, in, in fact, exactly 10 years ago this coming Sunday, uh, coincidentally, uh, the Daily Student ran a front-page uh, opinion uh, editorial uh, saying they usually don't do that, but they thought this was important enough, and they quoted the, the Wildermuth quotes that I paraphrased a minute ago, uh, which they had retraced in the archives from the citation in our book, and then uh, had an editorial describing uh, Wildermuth's quotations, describing Garrett's achievements, and saying that the name of the fieldhouse should be changed. Uh, and that started a movement which led finally to a resolution of the board to change the name of the field house, but to change it, they were, they were concerned about taking Wildermuth's name off because they thought it might be a slippery slope. There might be others who had skeletons in their closet and that kind of thing. And so they proposed the name at Garrett-Wildermuth. Um, and when word that, that actually made national press stories at the time because uh, at that time there hadn't been name changes of this kind since there have been many. But in any event, it was in the national press. The, the Garrett family, when they got wind of this, adamantly refused to have Bill Garrett's name uh, joined with Aura Wilderman's name. So the national press then ran another, another number of stories saying it's all off because the Garrett family won't allow this. And that was a bit of an embarrassment for IU, and it still remains kind of a sensitive point, I think. What were your thoughts on that at the time when it was proposed? Uh, I have to confess, I... I, uh, Two things. One is, um, IU did contact me at the time because I knew better than anyone else the Garrett's contact information. And I gave them the Garrett's contact information, and it fell through the cracks whether they were thinking that I would clear it with them or I was thinking, as I was, that they would take take it up and clear it with them from then on. So I feel a little bit of, of guilt or responsibility on that. Uh, on the thing itself, um, I think, to be honest, I thought at the time, until I heard from the Garretts about it, I thought that uh, this maybe was was the best that could be done, and that that getting Garrett recognized that way probably was would be okay. I I don't think I would come out that way now, having had heard a lot more of people's views and thought about more about it. But but that's that, to be honest, is what I thought at the time. So what I mean in terms of this weekend, the ceremony is going on for people who are in Bloomington, uh, who are close and who want to you know go go attend, or you know for people who want to share and spread the word. What's the best way for people to get involved and do so? Well, I would like as many people as want to to attend. It's open to the public. Uh, the IU did send out invitations to people who had a special connection to the story, but we all made sure that uh, that doesn't imply any exclusivity. It's open to the public, uh, and uh, there will be uh, 
about a 45-minute or so period of speakers, which will include uh, videos by the commissioner of the Big Ten, Jim Delaney, taking responsibility for the Big Ten, uh, which was very important to us, that this was a Big Ten breakthrough and, and acknowledging the gentleman's agreement, and by Quinn Buckner, who is now, of course, a, a, board, a member of the board, on behalf of the legatees of Bill Garrett's legacy at IU, uh, as well as Billy Garrett, who is an assistant coach at DePaul, Bill's son, uh, as the main speaker, and uh, I, and then someone from the uh, Indiana Historical Bureau, and uh, one or two others. But anyway, uh, 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 about a 45-minute speaking thing. Then a short luncheon for everybody. We made sure that that also is is for anyone who attends. Uh, and then a lifting of the veil over the marker, unveiling the marker in front of the fieldhouse. The ceremony itself, or the, the, the initial speaking, will be held in Alumni Hall in the Union Building. Uh, to as out of concern for rain and so that the videos can be shown. But as far as getting the word out and attending, uh, I would urge anyone who is interested and wants to to attend. Uh, we already expect maybe 150 people or so, uh, and it could be a lot larger than that. But anyone who is interested in, in Bill Garrett's achievement, interested in showing support for that, uh, and interesting in, interested in, in hearing speakers like that talk about it, and it, it, it will be kind of a key moment in which Indiana University and the Big Ten acknowledge the, the gentleman's agreement in order to fully appreciate uh, the breakthrough that Bill Garrett made. So, so I, I would say everyone attend who wants to. It'll be in the Union Building uh, Alumni Hall to begin with at 11 a.m., and it will then the unveiling will be about an hour after that at on the south side entrance of the old field house now the intramural center so this gentleman's agreement has that been formally acknowledged anywhere but in your book uh that's a good question <laughs> i have to think it was an open secret at the time. I mean, it really, nobody wrote about it, which is another whole factor. The white press at the time did not write about race relations much anywhere, and certainly not on the sports pages. Uh, so no one wrote about it uh, then. Uh, it was uncovered and uh, cited in our book. Um, I guess maybe people who have written about the Book have echoed it, saying it was there. Whether anyone has, as a, an original matter, said there was this agreement, we should recognize it, that kind of thing, I don't. I'm not aware of anything. I think. I think when there were comments on our book and and various various times after the books, things about Bill Garrett would come up. It was it was mentioned, but it was mentioned as a repetition of something that that had been put in the book. Well, and, and speaking of your book, our mutual friend Bart Kaufman sent me your book, and I'm so grateful to him for doing so because I hadn't read it yet, and it is such an important read, and it's such an engaging read, really an essential story that is told very very well. Um, and when I got done reading it, I, I mean, I had many thoughts, but there were two that were prevailing. Number one. Every IU basketball fan needs to read this book. It's truly essential reading if you're an IU basketball fan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, really, really, if you're just if you're associated with Indiana, because it's such an important part of the Indiana story. And the second thing that crossed my mind is how in the world is Bill Garrett not in the Basketball Hall of Fame? And so before <laughs> before we address that question, uh, for which I really don't think there's a good answer, and you'll probably agree with me, uh, let, let's 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 start from the beginning because I'm curious. You know, what drove you to be the one who finally told Bill Garrett's remarkable story? 
Uh, thank you. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I thank you for everything you said. And let me just in one line say, uh, I have never done this to sell books. Uh, we could, we will never end up making back, you know, what we put into the book and on research and that kind of thing. And it's, it isn't that. It is a labor of love. It is a and a practically an obsession with me. I grew up in Shelbyville. I was four years old in 1947 when Bill Garrett led Shelbyville to the state championship, and we had just won World War II. And in my four-year-old mind, those two things were equated, winning the state championship, World War II, winning World War II and winning the state championship. Spoken like someone and, from Indiana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my, my parents had season tickets. My father went to all the games. My mother described the, them and what was going on in town. And even as a four-year-old and then up through eight-year-old with Garrett's achievements in Indiana, I had a I remember a strong feeling of pride. I, I couldn't have articulated it really well, but a feeling of pride in Bill Garrett, not only his basketball achievements, but his uh, the poetic justice of it. Uh, I remember, actually, as a four-year-old, I remember distinctly, um, my father coming home and saying, why, why, Bill's going to play at IU. He's going to be the first colored boy to play there. And, and first saying proudly and happily, uh, uh, so I grew up with that, and all my life I had wanted to write a story about the story of the season, of the 1947 season of the state championship. And when Rachel got involved, she had just finished a master's degree at Harvard in African-American studies, and she developed the whole uh, race relations, segregation, uh, uh, the, the whole if, putting it into the context of, of what was going on in terms of race relations at the time. So it became a much bigger story, and, and I, it was life-changing for me. It, it, I, I spent my whole career in international law, you know, a, a very different, dry subject, and, and nothing has ever... Uh, I've never been as impassioned about anything as about this story. How long ago did you write the book? Uh, it, we, it was a seven-year effort, uh, the, the two of us. We started in 2000. Uh, it started in 1999. The book came out in March of 2006 in hardback uh, by Simon & Schuster's uh, Atria Books, uh, an imprint of Simon & Schuster, and uh, then the Indiana University Press paperback in 2008. So it's been around 10 years. So uh, let's, um, you know, obviously what makes, one of the elements that makes this story so special is how great of a player Bill Garrett was. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it, it obviously is remarkable what he did, you know, as a pioneer and, and what he meant and what he represented, but he was also just a really good player, you know, and you mentioned he was Mr. Basketball uh, in 1947, you know, set all kinds of records at IU as an undersized center, by the way. Um, yeah. can, can you just, can you speak a little bit about, you know, what Bill was like as a player at Shelbyville and, and what kind of player he was at Indiana? Yeah, I have the vaguest memories of actually seeing him play in high school, but my father was a pretty good observer and also uh, reinforced this. And then I've seen films since then of him at IU and also a film of the um, next-to-last game, the afternoon game of the state championship uh, in 47. Uh, he played all, every position. Uh, he he, uh, he was almost 6'3", between 6'2 and a half and 6'3". Uh, and uh, he... His natural position was as a center, and he actually played center at IU at 6'3". Uh, uh, but he also could bring the ball up the floor. He, he could play all five positions, and as we say in the book, and sometimes did on successive plays even. Uh, he had a 
instinct and it's apparent watching he had an instinct for being in the right place at the right time in the center of things uh he had a turnaround jump shot which was very rare then uh in 1947 a a very effective turnaround jump shot uh he had a very fast pivot move with his back to the basket with basket uh, going around his defender and what we say also in the book it it was a uh, dilemma for people guarding him because if they played him close, he was so quick that he would pivot around them for a layup or a reverse layup. And if they played laid off him, he had uh, either a reverse jump shot or what was somewhere between a one-hander and a jump shot at that time that, that he was very accurate with from 15 feet or so. And he was also very, very fast. He um, he came in somewhere very high in the Big Ten in the 440. Uh, and uh, was a very, he was a very, just very quick and fast. And he led a lot of fast breaks. He would rebound, kick the ball out to the side. They'd get it to the center, and by the time they got down the floor, Garrett was coming up the side you know, for a layup. And you know, you mentioned earlier that you know Herman Wells, you know, you know, kind of convinced Branch McCracken to give him a try. And Branch obviously said that he could try out, uh, and and if he earned a spot. What what was Branch's reaction when he kind of got a hold of Bill Garrett and saw him play? Was it an immediate, oh my goodness, look at what I have here? Did, did Bill struggle with, you know, once he became a member of the team to be accepted by coaches and players? How did that process go for him? At that time, freshmen weren't eligible for the varsity. So Garrett spent a whole year uh, playing uh, on the freshman team. And interestingly, um, the... Uh, blacks attended the practices then of the freshman team until, until they closed the practices. And they also attended, who had, blacks had not, IU students had not attended a lot of games before they started attending the the freshman game. They played the freshman played a curtain raiser for the varsity freshman game and sometimes leaving for the varsity game. So McCracken had to be very well aware, but he pretty much ignored Garrett as he did all freshmen in the first year. And in the I I describe actually throughout from freshman year. McCracken's view as giving Garrett a chance to prove himself, not not um, giving him special treatment, being careful not to give him special treatment, but also being careful that he was, was treated sufficiently and had a chance and embracing it. He, Garrett started his very first game uh, and he started, he started every game in his college career, starting with his first game, except maybe like junior, senior year, he and some others were benched after a, you know, a bad game benched once or something. But, but and McCracken and, and Garrett, the McCracken and Garrett families became very close afterwards. We, we, we quote in the book that after McCracken retired, he was asked to name his favorite player ever after I mean, his 23 seasons. And he hesitated a minute and he said, now, what would Bill Garrett say if I'd leave any of them off your, or a hundred other boys, if I'd leave any of them off the, t- off the list? <laughs> what, and what were Indiana's teams like there? Because obviously the Hoosiers won a title in 1940 and 1953 and Garrett's tenure at Indiana fell within that. Were, were those good Indiana teams? Uh, they were not very good until Garrett got there. They they had had a, a series of uh, of uh, sort of uh, 500 seasons in the middle of the Big Ten uh, in the years uh, between about 1945 and 47. Uh, and Garrett's sophomore year, they were uh, let's see, they were about 
13 and 8, I think, and his, his junior year they were 18 and 5, and his senior year they were 21 and 3. Uh, the team that had the, their center was 6-3, and they were never ranked lower than 7th in the country his senior year, between 3rd and 7th in the country. And they, um, they swarmed all over the floor, being that small. They, they pressed all over the floor, they ran, they uh, uh, fast break, a lot of fast breaks, uh, better condition than most other teams, ran the opponents out of the gym things like that you know and obviously it took a player of bill's magnitude and someone with his just character and and fortitude to be the guy to assume this role but this is also you know something that wouldn't have happened without someone like herman wells and i think his impact here you know not just obviously in in helping to uh, get you know Bill Garrett onto the Indiana team, but just on a whole, what he did to help integrate the Indiana campus. Can you speak a little bit to just the the profound impact that that Mr. Wells had on this occurring? Yeah, Herman Wells was a giant of a, of a figure. I, I always go and find the Wells statue in on the old part of the campus and pat him on the shoulder yep. when I'm there. Um, but uh, uh, Wells had been for years. Uh, quietly trying to integrate the IU campus. But uh, Ora Wildermuth was the chairman of the board, and Wildermuth was an outspoken racist, demonstrated to be, and was favored segregation on the campus. And uh, there, the issue for a couple of years was whether they would either integrate the dorms for black women initially and then black men, but whether they would integrate the dorms or whether they would build a separate housing unit for, for the black students because the black students could only live off campus. Uh, every year, IU took no, no more than 81 black women because that was the number of, of uh, rooms for them or beds for them off campus. Uh, and so Wells and, and the dining halls were segregated, and, and uh, uh, so were uh, a lot of the social events and things like that. And Wells had been quietly working for years. ROTC was segregated also. That A doctor had given a uh, blanket opinion that all blacks had flat feet, which kept them out of ROTC. Uh, and student teachers couldn't student teach in, in Bloomington. So anyway, Wells had been working for years to try to one by one uh, change this under the radar. He, he, he had, was quoted in his book, I think, as saying, I wanted to win every battle and not lose one. Uh, and uh, but he had to be careful. There was not only uh, Wildermuth, there was a lot of the uh, upper level of the administration in the university. Uh, there was a state legislature that was cautious and things like that. So Wells was a, a, a giant at that. And the Garrett situation is one that demonstrates very well his working behind the scenes. There was one other one that's kind of funny, which is that uh, uh, the swimming pool was uh, uh, segregated, the, the swimming pool in the old field house. So Garrett asked Rooster Coffey, who was the most popular football, black football player, to go at the most busy, the busiest time of the swim, just go and jump in. And he did, and nobody complained. And as well said, a policy was changed, and nobody, nobody even realized. <laughs> so if, if it hadn't been Bill Garrett, how long do you think it would have taken for Indiana to integrate its basketball team and for the Big Ten to eventually integrate and break the gentleman's agreement? It would certainly have happened. It had to happen. There were too many good black players coming along, and and the pressures. Your know, coaches wanted to win, of course, and uh, the pressures would have been such. Uh, um, 
it's hard to say exactly when, but surely within a few years. As it happens, IU did not have a second black basketball player until 1952-53 season, Wally Choice. And even then, and Wally Choice was a very good player and an all-Big Ten player, but he wasn't an All-American, but he was still very good. But uh, uh, I don't know. It would have happened in the coming years. What what actually happened was, after Garrett, basketball integrated by ones and twos, a sort of dribble of black players that hadn't existed before into the game until Wilt Chamberlain, well, first Bill Russell, and then Wilt Chamberlain and Oscar Robertson and Elgin Baylor in the late 50s broke it open. So there was a period of about five years after Garrett when there was a stream of blacks in. And, and, and one of them would surely have done it to one of the schools sooner or later. The year after he graduated, there were seven black players on five Big Ten teams, which is a remarkable uh, uh, just statement of what he did since there had been none before. So given how great Bill was as a player and certainly what he represented in, in a larger sense, how, how in the world is he not in the Basketball Hall of Fame? So good question. Bob Hamill and I tried. We we applied two or three years ago. Uh, I even went to New York for the ceremony with hope that he would be named. Um, uh, I, there are two or three reasons. Uh, for one thing, to some extent, my in my opinion, the Hall of Fame, the National Hall of Fame, Naismith Hall of Fame, is driven by statistics, uh, player statistics. And Garrett, uh, the time he played, uh, his statistics are not spectacular by today's standards. They, they were record-setting uh, for Indiana then, uh, is one. Um, for another, um, I don't know if Garrett would be in the in Basketball Hall of Fame for his, his uh, play, his ability on the court alone. He was very, very good. But um, what really should put him there is the larger story. And in my observation, the Hall of Fame is not story-driven as much. It's 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 headline-driven or 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 you know attention-grabbing statistics-driven things that can be listed in a press release like that. That's um, that is that's you know just just my personal opinion. But uh, I, I I think I guess that sums it up. I I, I think the story is not sufficiently well known. That seems unbelievably short-sighted to me on behalf of the Hall of Fame. I mean, the Hall of Fame should be about stories, I would think. The story of basketball. And I don't know how you tell the story of basketball without Bill Garrett's part in it. Yeah, well, um, I hope I'm not being too unfair to them in saying that. I mean, it's, it's in a way, it, it unless they are persuaded otherwise or, or, or think about it otherwise, that what I described being a little bit statistically driven may be the natural kind of thing that happens. Uh, um, but yes, they have created a category for Af- early African-American pioneers, which I would think fitted Garrett to a T. Yeah. But even that category existed two years ago when we applied, and he didn't uh, uh, wasn't chosen then. Uh, so uh, possibly one thing that may come from something like this ceremony, if it is attended uh, by a lot of people and if publicity is attracted to it, uh, and if the uh, name of the field house also perhaps it adds to the attention, possibly 
the uh, uh, there may be reconsideration or the case may be stronger. It needs for the Big Ten, for IU and the Big Ten to get behind it. The time before, it was only Bob Hamill and me. Mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, I suppose if Jim Delaney is going to be there, and obviously Indiana is, you know, uh, honoring Bill in this way, uh, you know, maybe maybe that, do you have any sense of confidence or hope that it, that this could be the next step and maybe that's someday happening? Yeah, well, certainly hope. And um, I, I, what I know about Jim Delaney comes from Bob Hamill, who has a very high opinion of him and a very good relationship with him. And um, I would think that this would certainly be a step toward Big Ten endorsement and support, uh, and for IU as well. It's so far... Uh, people have sh- institutions have shied away from this, thinking it's better just not to talk about it, or better not to. It's bad publicity. We better off, we're better off to forget, which I don't think is the case at all. It's a win-win for everyone. You know, it, th- things were bad in the 1940s. Every everybody knows that. That's a fact. And and this is about how they changed. And the Big Ten and IU uh, were. Uh, Implicated in a good way, where we're, we're you know benefited from the change, facilitated the change, and can claim to some degree credit for it, and so really, it's a positive story if seen that way for all. Well, it is a positive story because obviously things did change, and I think it's you know that's one of the things I got out of reading the book is just you know the benefit of remembering and remembering how things were and how unfairly a class of people were treated. And, you know, one, one of the passages from your book that has just has stayed with me, and I just I haven't been able to, to get it out of my head since I read it, and it's actually on pages 82 and 83 of the book, and, you know, Emerson Johnson, uh, one of the players who Bill Garrett played with at Shelbyville, he's, you know, in the dedication at the front of the book, you say, for Bill Garrett, Emerson Johnson, and Marshall Murray, and there's a story after they win the state championship game, and they have a dance at the National Guard Armory, and it's, you know, it's 2 a.m., and the dance is, is about over. Uh, and uh, there's a, a, a girl, I don't, I don't know if you pronounce her name, Rowan or Roan. Uh, uh, Rowan. Yeah, Ro- Rowan. Rowan. And Emerson Johnson asks her to dance. And, and she, you know, kind of looks around and she's wondering to herself, well, you know, I, I can't be seen dancing with Emerson Johnson. But it's late. There's not as many people there. The dance is winding down. He asks nicely. And so she accepts. And, you know, you end it. Emmy Johnson slowly took a neatly pressed white linen handkerchief from his pocket, carefully unfolded it, and wrapped it around his brown left hand so it would not be in contact with Roanne's small, white, right one. I mean, I read that, and it hit me like a ton of bricks reading that as just a reminder of this is less than 100 years ago, you know, in, yeah. in the very state, you know, where I grew up. And it's, I agree, I, I can see why some people might not want to revisit that or remember that or acknowledge it. But how can we ever be sure that it won't happen again or that we won't make the same mistakes unless we acknowledge them and learn from them and remind ourselves of them? So, well, yes. And, and what we're doing with this ceremony and everything else is celebrating uh, the, cha- the, the change in a right. way. But uh, let me say also, for, first of all, thank you very much for the way you wrote uh, the blog you wrote about and for your appreciation of the book. I really appreciate that. But on the story of the dance of Emerson Johnson and Roanne Weaver, Roanne Weaver told that story. It, we report it exactly the way she told it to me, uh, standing outside at about midnight uh, after the 55th reunion of the 1947 class at Shelbyville. I went, I went to the, the reunion of the class, uh, and that would have been 2002, while we're still working on the book. And 
you know, the stories get told sort of at the end when people are about to leave. And standing in the parking lot, uh, you know, late at night, uh, uh, after the reunion had ended, she told that story. Wow. Just... Yeah, I, 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 I've gone back and read it several times since then. It's, it's an amazing passage, and, and I mean, there's so many passages like that in the book. You know, and getting back to Bill, let's talk a little bit about his, what happened to Bill after he left Indiana, because I, he was drafted but didn't have a particularly notable professional career, although he did find success in basketball again as a coach uh, in high yep. school after that. Can you describe um, how Bill's basketball career went after Indiana? Sure. He was drafted by the Boston Celtics, incidentally, the Indiana Pacers, which were owned by uh, the players, the Kentucky players who had won the national championship for Kentucky in 1948. The Indiana Pacers did bypassed him, uh, and as did the Fort Wayne Pistons. And he was drafted by the Boston Celtics, and um, all, but was also drafted by the Army. The Korean War was on. And there, at that time, at least, there was no way that he could get a deferment or anything. So he spent his, his uh, Korean War years in Japan running a basketball league of some kind, came back, and um, it's hard to say exactly what happened. Uh, the, at that time, the Harlem Globetrotters were the most powerful and the, 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 uh, the biggest draw, uh, the, the most popular basketball act, maybe most popular sports act in the world. They were really riding high. And the NBA was just getting started. And the Globetrotters would do favors for the NBA by playing, letting an NBA team play the curtain raiser for the main event of a Globetrotter game. And, and they'd fill Madison Square Garden and things like that. So the Globetrotters had a lot of power over the NBA owners. And whether they pressured uh, the Celtics or not is not clear. But the Celtics released Garrett and the Globetrotters took him. Uh, he was, after all, a 6'2.5 or to 6'3 center in college. He couldn't have played center in the pros. And, and whether he, they saw him as not having a position or not is also a, a, a legitimate question. But in any event, he was with the Globetrotters. <laughs> they called him part of the rhythm section, meaning he was not one of their show people, but, but uh, one of the ones who set up plays and you know, just played basketball. But he had hated the life of the Globetrotters. Not, no real competition. They played shows, show games, and things like that, and they played like 300 games a year, and always on the road. And so he left after a couple of years, uh, spent a year in Toledo, sort of where his wife, where Betty was teaching, and then spent a year at Indianapolis as a uh, freshman coach at Harry Wood High School in Indianapolis when the position came open at Crispus Attics, which was dominating high school basketball in Indiana in the 1950s. Uh, Ray Crow had, had uh, left to be athletic director, and Garrett was hired in that position. Everybody thought the poor guy is 28 years old. He can't possibly replace Ray Crow in the spotlight, the best, best uh, team dominating the state. It was an all-black school dominating the state and so on. Two years later, in 1959, he won the state championship with them as a coach, becoming what he still is, the only uh, Mr. Basketball in Indiana ever to play on a state championship team and coach one uh, for boys, the only in boys basketball. And then he became, he, he was an addicts basketball coach for several years, became the athletic director, ultimately became an assistant dean at uh, Indiana Purdue University of Indianapolis, IUPUI, and he died of a heart attack at age 45 unfortunately uh and uh but he uh 
Uh, he had a, a great and solid family, all of whom will be there. Uh, his son, Billy, is an assistant coach at DePaul now. His daughter, Tina, is a, a lawyer in Indianapolis. Another daughter is a pharmacist. Another daughter is a Ph.D. Uh, in education. So, And, and uh, his grandson, uh, William Leon Garrett II, named after, after Bill, was DePaul's star and Big East Freshman of the Year a few years ago, and and is graduating from DePaul this year. Wow. So uh, it's it's, uh, it's, a, it, he, it's an outstanding family he raised. He was an outstanding man. And he he passed away so young. My goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a, a heart arrhythmia, and uh, uh, he probably wasn't as diligent as he should have been about taking his medicine for it, uh, because after all, he was forty-five and in. in very good shape and a former All-American and everything else. Yeah. And uh, it was a heart arrhythmia, heart arrhythmia attack. For you, Tom, what is, what's the quintessential story that sums up Bill Garrett, the man? Not, not the player, but the man. Uh, maybe what we say in the book, toward the end of the book, um, uh, by his, his example on and off the court he showed white Americans that they had been wrong in a way they could accept. Um, uh, I, I think that probably sums it up. And then also, uh, toward the end of the book, Wally Choice, the second back basketball player, I, I reached him on the phone while he was running his uh, dry cleaning business. <laughs> so in the middle of waiting on customers, he gave uh, he, he, he said it, about as well as it could be be said for this, uh, he said, and again, he's waiting on customers and everything, African-Americans made me aware that I was following an icon, not just in basketball, but in personality, too. I became aware that I couldn't mess up at IU or I would mess up the legacy. I would be letting him down. And he said, Bill Garrett made, a, made it a pleasant situation for me. Wow. Do you, do you get the sense that Bill felt properly appreciated or respected for, for for the road that he walked uh not when he was at indiana he 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 uh, he gave an interview to a um, uh, uh black newspaper at ohio state at a game when they were at ohio state to play in his senior year and one of the things he said was, uh, asked about how he was treated. He said, they all treat me swell, the way they talk back there. They all treat me swell, but too many act like they're doing me a big favor. Mm. Um, uh, so there was a bit of that. Uh, um, he also said, though, uh, right, uh, he said later in life, uh, talk, looking back at his IU career and all-American status and all that. I thought then that I had it made. I know now that I don't, which I thought was quite insightful. Hmm. But uh, he had to, he, he received so much recognition around Indianapolis, and he was so appreciated in the black community and all that. He, he cannot have failed to uh, uh, realize a lot about what he meant, certainly to the black community. Um, but he was a very humble person who, who never boasted or, or uh, never talked about his achievements or anything. And so uh, it, in a way, he never 
he never showed it if he fully understood. It, it's obviously pretty clear what his legacy is in Bloomington, or at least it certainly should be. And hopefully, you know, podcasts like these and your book and the event this weekend uh, will help educate people who maybe don't know about that. But, you know, back in Shelbyville, where the Bill Garrett story began, what is his legacy there? What is the memory of Bill Garrett in his hometown? Uh, well, since the book came out and the full story has reminded people and everything, there is enormous pride. It's a tremendous pride. Uh, at the time, uh, there, was, there was virtually, as far as I was aware then or, or knew in the years after, there was great pride in the state championship. There was great pride in Bill Garrett, uh, too, then. When he came back with his Christmas Addicts team, I, I was playing for Shelbyville in the late 1950s and beginning of the 1960s. And Bill Garrett and, and his Christmas Addicts team played a game in Shelbyville. And when they introduced Garrett, there was a long-standing ovation by the Shelbyville crowd. Um, uh, so he was very, very appreciated then in Shelbyville. Um, uh, I, oh, I, I know what else I wanted to say, which is that... Um, one of the things that was very satisfying about uh, the aftermath of the book was the number of whites in Shelbyville who would shake their head, sort of, who lived through the whites who lived through the period, who would shake their head and say, "I can't believe I was so oblivious," uh, and the number of blacks who thanked us for giving voice to their story. Wow. And I thought, uh, I thought we must have got the balance right. Yeah. Well, no, you did. Uh, and if I recall correctly, Bill received a standing ovation at his last IU game as well, right? Yeah, that was really something. I remember I would have been eight at the time. I re- my parents went to it. Again, this is an example of how Shelbyville looked upon Bill Garrett. That my parents went there to be there for his last game. And I remember the next morning, my mother saying, why, you never heard anything like it. Just was a sort of... Uh, a sort of awe in her voice. And a lot of people who were there talk about it that way. Uh, when Garrett, uh, Branch McCracken, I, I saw him do it in later games. And that last home game of the season, uh, if the game wasn't close, he would take his seniors out one by one for, so for a sort of curtain call. And when that came for Bill Garrett in his last game, the entire 10,000 in the old field house stood for their estimates vary from you know, one minute to three minutes or so standing ovation that sort of froze the players on the floor until the, the referees actually sort of stepped in and resumed the play on it. Wow. And I, and I assume that was a recognition both of just what a remarkable career he had as a player and, and an acknowledgement of what he represented, even though, you know, obviously you, the, at the, people were still in the time, like it was still kind of history was unfolding at that moment. Yeah, I, I think it was an implicit recognition. Uh, uh, I thought for a long time about what adjectives to use in the book describing it. I called it impulsive and cathartic, yeah. uh, uh, kind of catharsis. Of, of I don't think most of them, if you had asked most of those fans at the time, I don't think they could have described very well uh, or very very thoroughly or anything what had occurred and what Garrett had done, but they felt it implicitly and instinctively, and I, th- I think that's what it was. Well, Tom, this conversation has been phenomenal. I really appreciate you, you know, lending so much insight. My last question for you, 
what else would you like to see done to properly honor the legacy of Bill Garrett? You know, either at IU, you know, within the basketball program, at the Basketball Hall of Fame on a state level. Like, what else would you love to see done to honor him? Well, um, most of all, I'd like to see him in the National Basketball Hall of Fame. But um, besides that, um, it has been suggested by some, uh, Bob Hamill and, and some others, such things as IU playing a game every year on December 3rd, which is the date in, at which he, he broke the uh, gentleman's agreement. Uh, uh, well, I, let me come back to that in a minute. The, the date at which he played his first game for the IU Varsity at home, December 3rd, 1948, playing a game then and calling it Bill Garrett Night or something like that, uh, or the Big Ten having a Bill Garrett Night, such things as that. Let me just return for a second to a point that's important. Garrett did not break the gentleman's agreement by playing one game on December 3rd, 1948. He broke the gentleman's agreement by conducting himself, playing so well in, off, on the court and conducting himself off the court for four whole years while he was playing alone. And it's that example that did it. But those, those are the kinds of things I'd like to see. done. One last thing, or if, if you want it to be the last, that I, I would say, Jared, is today is Bill Garrett's birthday. Today is April 4th. Yep, today wow. is Bill Garrett's birthday. Wow, what, what perfect timing to have this interview. Yeah, it's a nice coincidence. Yeah, it is. Well, Tom, thank you again so much. Uh, Again, I highly recommend your book, Getting Open, The Unknown Story of Bill Garrett and the Integration of College Basketball. We will link to that in the show notes. Uh, If you are an Indiana basketball fan associated at all with Indiana University or just a a fan of basketball in general, I I think it's an essential story to know and to understand. And Tom, you did a great job telling it. And we appreciate you being here and giving us even more insight. Thank you. Thanks very much, Jared. Yeah, and, 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 and also just thank you, you know, to you and to, to Bob Hamill as well for all the work that you've put in to make what's happening this weekend and the historical marker happen as well because that is, it's, it's an essential commemoration of what Bill Garrett represented and what he meant. Well, thank you for really getting the story, getting what it is we were trying to, to, to say. Absolutely. All righty. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to support the show, please share The Assembly Call with a friend or family member who loves IU basketball like you do. You can also visit assemblycall.com support to learn a few ways you can help, from donating to grabbing official Assembly Call gear to buying IU merchandise that you'd buy anyway but using our special affiliate links, which get us a commission. We rely on the support of audience members like you to keep the Assembly Call alive and growing. Once again, the URL is assemblycall.com support. Thank you, and as always, Go Hoosiers! Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger... They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. IBM Cloud offers millions of different server configurations with 20 terabytes of bandwidth cost-free. Get the compute power you need and deploy on demand, but at prices set for smart cost management. Visit ibm.biz slash bare metal servers to customize your server today.